Hey, good morning, everybody. What's happening? Good to see you. You look beautiful, sounded great this morning. Thanks for being with us. Uh, my name is Jamie Borchick. I'm one of the preaching pastors here at Park Community Church, South Rogers Park. And if you're just joining us this morning, we love that you're here today. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Thanks for coming out. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, so you can open your Bibles there. Um, if, if you're in the house Bible, uh, it's page 526, I believe. And um, if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you, so take it with you. All right, John chapter 15. Um, we are in the midst of this series where we're looking at the I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. So in John, um, Jesus makes these astounding claims about himself, these seven I am statements, where he uses these vivid and concrete images drawn from real life to, to talk about who he is. So he says things like, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, today, our text actually comes from the same conversation that we were in last week. So last week, Lee talked about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And we're in the exact same conversation today. Uh, Jesus is still in this upper room in Jerusalem, hanging out around a dinner table with uh, his closest followers, having their last meal together before he heads off to the cross. And it's in the midst of that last conversation with them that he makes the final of his seven I Am statements. And our text this morning is a familiar one. It's one that a lot of us know. And uh, preachers, including yours truly here, uh, preachers tend to be notorious thieves. Okay? So before we jump in, I need to acknowledge that I'm indebted to several other thinkers and teachers for some of the broad contours and ideas I'm going to share this morning. Uh, this text has been preached well and often by lots of other people before me. So today I'm using some of the best insights from people like Don Carson, Tim Keller, Francis Chan, and some others in what I'm going to share. Uh, those guys have helped me to understand this text, and I hope that in turn I'll be able to help, help us understand it a little better as well. So let's read it and let's talk about it. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Father, this morning as we open your word, I pray you'd speak. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? God, would your word be clear? Would you help us today? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, vines are essentially utilitarian plants. They are pipes that carry nutrients to branches so that the branches can produce fruit. And the whole purpose of the vine is ultimately the fruit that comes out the other end. The vine pulses with life. It is the source of the life. But at the end of the day, the fruit is the point. And Jesus says here that he is the vine. He is the true vine. He is the true source of life. He is the one who carries all the nutrients needed for the production of fruit in our lives and in the world. That's what he's saying. And you'll notice the emphasis that he puts on fruit in this passage. Over and over and over and over again in this text, he talks about fruit. The phrase bear fruit or uh, produce fruit, that phrase shows up seven times in the 16 verses we just read. Jesus uses this image of the vine because he wants to make a point about bearing fruit. And that begs the question, what is the fruit? Well, in the Bible, the word fruit always has to do with both character and mission. Character and mission. Fruit is about becoming all that God made us to be and then doing all that God made us to do. It's like, it's a, fruit is about being like God in our character and then acting like God in our actions, doing what God does in the world so that we and then everything around us in the world flourishes. That's what fruit is. And so in terms of character, fruit is what happens when qualities like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, when those kind of qualities, when they mature within us and when we grow in all those kind of ways. And who doesn't want that in their lives? Right? Like almost everyone wants to become more joyful in life or more peaceful in life or, or more loving in life or more kind in life. We want to become better people. We want to be great people. Everyone's after that kind of growth. And in terms of mission, fruit is what happens when we see our life impacting the lives of those around us. When we see our life making a difference for the better in the world. And specifically, for those of us who are Christians here today, fruit is what happens when we see God use us to bring his kingdom into the world and to lead others to faith in him. When others become part of his family too. That's the fruit. Fruit is when our life makes a difference in the world. And and who doesn't want that? Right? Everyone wants to grow. Everyone wants to be great. Especially in a city like Chicago. Like everyone wants to be great here. That's why we have self-help books and podcasts that are so popular. Because everyone wants to grow. But the question is, how do we do it? There's really no more relevant question that we could ask for ourselves or for our society. How can a prideful person become humble? How can a selfish person become unselfish? How can a coward become courageous? 
How can a greedy person, a stingy person, become generous and open-handed? How can a lustful person become pure inside? How can an anxious person, a worried, nervous person, how can they become calm and steady? How can a mean person, a cruel person, become kind and loving toward others? And then how can we extrapolate that across the whole of a society? How can you transform a a, a family, a city, the world? How, How do you reach everyone? How do you live on mission so that you see fruit everywhere? How how do we as a church live out our mission to see the gospel of Jesus Christ transform lives, renew the city, and impact the world? How do we reach more of our friends for Christ? How do we become a people who live out all that God has for us and who flourish in every way? In short, how do we produce fruit? It's a super relevant question. And that's what this text is all about today. On his final night with his followers, Jesus gave his disciples this image of the vine and these instructions on bearing fruit so that they and we could go and live out his mission and produce fruit in the world after he left. And so in this text, what we have is really a series of lessons on producing fruit. And there's a ton that we could say here, but in our time this morning, I want to talk about four of those lessons in particular. The first two will be pretty quick and then we'll sit a little longer in the second two. All right, so four lessons this morning. The first lesson is this. You can produce fruit. You can produce fruit. See, lots of us want to become better. We want to grow in our character and in our mission. But there are some in our society who say that it just can't happen. Like in some circles, and maybe this was the family you grew up in or it's the tribe you've become a part of as an adult. In in some circles, there's kind of an implicit message that we as people are static creatures, right? Like we're born a certain way or we grow up a certain way and eventually we reach a point in life where after which we just can't change. I am the way I am. I can't be any different. We are what we are and we're bound to stay that way, like it or not. And even for some of us uh, personally, some of us have tried really hard to change certain things in our life, right? Right? Like we've seen habits or, or things that we do that we just, we think are bad and we want to change them. We want to become better. But, but we've tried really, really hard and it just feels like it, it can't happen. It feels like it's not happening. We look at our lives and they look a whole lot like they did last year or five years ago or ten years ago. Nothing's changing. Nothing's growing. We've made the New Year's resolutions. We, we've, we've given things up for Lent. We've tried to start new habits and and end old habits, but it just doesn't work. We've tried and we've tried and we've tried and nothing seems to work. But look at what Jesus says in this text. Over and over and over again, he talks about bearing fruit. And in verse 5 in particular, he says that whoever abides in him does bear much fruit. In this text, he assumes that we can bear fruit and that many people will bear fruit. And so the first lesson is that no matter what you've been told, and no matter what you've experienced, you can, in fact, produce fruit. You can. Growth and change and maturity and fruit are possible in your life. So know today that wherever you're at, fruit can happen for you. That's the first lesson. And that leads us to our second lesson. It's not just that you can produce fruit. It's actually that you must produce fruit. You must produce fruit. 
In verse 2, Jesus says that every branch that doesn't bear fruit gets taken away. And in verse 6, he makes clear that those fruitless branches are useless. And they'll get cut off, and they'll get thrown out, and then they'll get burned up. His point is that bearing fruit is not optional, it's essential. Fruit is what God requires of us as his people. He created us for the purpose of producing fruit. And so look, if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, but there's no fruit in your life, like there's no maturity, there's no depth of character, there's no mission, there's no impact, there's nothing happening, no fruit in your life, if you're not increasingly becoming what God made you to be and doing what he made you to do, then you're in danger of ultimately being cut off and facing God's judgment. And this needs to be a wake-up call for you today. See, a fruitless Christian is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. You can't be a genuine Christian for any real length of time without seeing any genuine real fruit in your life. You just can't. Over the long haul, fruit is not optional, it's essential. And that's not to say that there aren't some seasons where things are tough or where there's minimal fruit. But over the long-term trajectory of your life, if there's no fruit, you need to be very concerned. And today, you need to pay some serious attention to the rest of what I'm going to say. Because fruit is required. It's what God made us for. So that's the second lesson. Not only can you produce fruit, but you must. You must produce fruit. And so that begs the question, how do you do it? And that's our third lesson. The third lesson in this text is that you can only produce fruit by abiding in Christ. You can only produce fruit by abiding in Christ. In verse 5, Jesus makes clear something that is implied in the first four verses in this chapter. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And then all throughout this text, he explains things that are true about branches. So, since Jesus talks about branches here, um, I brought a little visual aid with me. Okay, I, I brought a little friend. I brought a branch. Go. So, uh, I, uh, I went all Paul Bunyan on a little tree, and uh, here's what we got. Now, I, I pulled this out of a trash heap at my neighbor's place, actually. That's where I got it. Um, but here's a branch, right? And uh, the question is, is this branch going to be able to produce fruit? Okay. I mean, look at it. It's a pretty good-sized branch. It's pretty solid. It's pretty sturdy. I had, to, I had to chop some of the end off, and it took some work to do that. Like, this is a pretty good branch. As branches go, it's pretty solid. Now, what if this branch tries really, really hard? Like, what if this branch is like, grow! Come on! You can do it! Push the fruit out! Come on! Is that going to do the trick? No, nah, not, not going to get there, is it? Uh, what if this branch um, goes, gets, on, gets his iPhone out, and he, uh, he goes to the podcast app, and he, he downloads a few podcasts on gardening that talk about how you can be more, more productive in producing fruit. And he listens to those podcasts and then puts it in practice. How's that, is that going to work? Like, I, I, don't know, I don't know. Um, what, what if this branch 
What if this branch gets on Amazon and orders some self-help books on being a better branch? Like how you can be a better branch. Like, like is, is that going to do it? Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, no, here, I, I got an idea. I got an idea. What, what if the branch, what if the branch goes over to Jewel and uh, buys a bag of apples, comes back here, grabs a stapler, and starts uh, st- stapling some apples onto, onto itself. Like, got, got apples dangling everywhere, right? Like, is, is that getting it done? Is that branch producing fruit? Nah. Like, it doesn't work that way. Like, what's the problem with this branch? This branch is dead. Right? The problem with the branch is the branch is dead. The branch is not connected to a vine or a tree or to anything that has life pulsing through its veins. It doesn't. The branch has no connection to the vital nutrients and the life it needs in order to produce fruit. But y'all, so often when we try to grow, we try to do it in all the ways that I just described. We try to become better through podcasts and self-help books. Through trying harder to be a better person. Through stapling some qualities to the outside of our lives. But the problem with all those things is that they're all external. They don't deal with the root issue. And the root issue is that we don't have the kind of transforming life that we need flowing through our veins. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. And look at the end of verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you know what the Greek word for nothing is there? What it means? It means nothing. It means you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you can't produce fruit. You can't become what God made you to be. And you can't do what God made you to do. Apart from him, you are like this dead branch. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Nothing. But there's a flip side of that reality too. Look at verse 5 again. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. But Jesus is the true vine. Life courses through his veins. And so if you are vitally connected to him, then you will produce fruit. Connection with Christ guarantees fruit in your life. There's a key word that shows up all over this text that we need to talk about here. Shows up 11 times in these 16 verses. And it's the key to understanding this text and to understanding the secret of transformative growth in your life and in our world. It's the word abide. To abide means to remain, uh, to continue, to stay put. It's like what the Bulls have been doing lately in the cellar of the NBA. They've been staying there. Or if, if, uh, if you don't get the whole sports thing, I'm, I'm working on expanding my repertoire here. Um, if you don't get the whole sports thing, it's like the potholes in your alley at this time of year. Right? They just stay put. They're just always there. 
right? So the first time the word abide shows up is in verse 4. And when abide shows up, it shows up as a command. Jesus commands us, abide in me and I in you. He commands us to stay vitally connected to him, to stay put with him. And the reason for that command is that at the end of the day, fruit depends entirely on being vitally connected to Jesus. What he's saying is, I'm the key to growth. I'm the key to fruit. I'm the key to flourishing. What matters in your life is your connection with me. That's the key. Now, this is one of the beautiful truths about how Christianity works that we need to stop and marvel at for a minute. See, the order of operations here is not, it doesn't go like this. It doesn't go uh, become a better person in order to get connected to God. It doesn't work that way. It's just the opposite. It's get connected to God in order to become better. It flows in that direction. So it's not change yourself so that God will accept you. It's God accepts you, and when you get connected to him, he will change you from the inside out. It's the opposite. And so what Jesus is demanding of us here is not more busyness and religious activity on his behalf. He's not telling us to do more or try harder. He's simply telling us to abide, to stay connected to him. That's why in verses 13 through 15, he uses the language of friendship. The connection with Jesus is all about a relationship. And it's the relationship that transforms us. Have you ever been in a relationship like that? Where the relationship changed you just because you were in it? I'll give you an example. Uh, The first time that I met my wife, the first time I met Kinsey, I was wearing a baggy navy blue sweatsuit. Matching top and bottoms. And that was a good day for me. I felt like I was a G that day. And, uh, you know, most of the time back then, it was basketball shorts and baggy T-shirts. Like, that, that's how I rolled. I was a total jock with no style. I was allergic to shirts with collars. And all my shoes were made for playing sports. That's where I was at. Just being honest. And uh, along comes Kinsey. And uh, my, my wife, Kinsey, her senior year of college, she was voted the girl with the trendiest style in her whole sorority. What she saw in me, I'm really not sure, but she liked something. Maybe, maybe it was the baggy sweats. I don't know. Um, but when we started dating, something interesting started to happen. Slowly my style started to change. You know, my clothes, they started to actually fit. <laughs> All of a sudden I looked down and there, was, there, there were these things on my, on my shirts. I was like, what is this thing? Buttons? What, what do you do with those? Um, my sweatpants? Uh, they stay, my pants stayed blue, but they turned into jeans. You know, it was an upgrade. And over time, over the course of our relationship, my style totally changed. It became totally different. Now, my style, it didn't change so that I could earn a relationship with Kinsey. I had the relationship with Kinsey. But my style changed because I was in the relationship with Kinsey. She changed me. Being in the relationship changed me. And y'all, in a way less superficial kind of way, (laughs) that's exactly what happens in a relationship with Jesus. When we really experience his incredible love for us, and and his love is incredible. He He says here in this passage, greater love than this has no one, that someone should lay down his life for his friends. Man, when you really experience that kind of incredible love, you have no choice but to become different. 
that's going to affect you. And when you get into that kind of relationship with him, way more than your style is going to change. When you get connected to Jesus and you experience his life flowing through your veins, you have no choice but to become different, to become better, to become what he is. It just happens organically. Like if you're a branch and you're connected to a vine, then the life that flows through you is automatically and organically the life that flows through that vine. It's the same life. And so whatever characterizes the vine is going to characterize you. The change inside of you is going to happen organically. You're going to become like the vine that you're attached to. You know, sometimes from the outside looking in, or, or uh, even among people who have been churched for a long time but don't really understand Christianity, there, there's this idea that to become a Christian is to change your behavior and start to keep a certain set of rules. That that's what God wants from you. So, so you got to stop having sex, stop saying bad words, and start giving all your money to other people. Right? Like that, that's what it takes, right? But the truth is, that's not at all what it means to become a Christian. Other religions operate that way. They give you a set of rules to keep in order to make yourself right with God. But Christianity is fundamentally different. It's, it's way easier and way harder at the same time. You see, even though God requires fruit from your life, he's not just after behavior modification. He doesn't want you to go down to Jewel and buy some apples and staple them onto your dead branch. He doesn't want that. He doesn't just want you to stop doing bad things and start doing good things. He wants way more than that from you. What he wants is your whole life. He wants all of you to get connected to all of him so that all of Jesus flows through you and transforms you in every way so that your life will produce fruit. That's what he wants. I like the way that C.S. Lewis puts it near the end of mere Christianity. Check out this quote from him. Lewis writes, The Christian way is different. It's harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think innocent, as well as all the ones you think wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own shall become yours. What do you think happens when you give Jesus your all and his will becomes yours? Well, it's when that happens that his life begins to flow through you and your life begins to produce the fruit for which God created you. And when that happens, everything changes. Not just your behavior, but the whole of who you are. The whole of what you are. See, the branch, the branch doesn't receive life from the vine because it is already fruitful. Right? The branch becomes fruitful because it starts receiving the life from the vine. It's connection with the vine that changes everything. And when you get connected to the vine, it's going to change you more than you can imagine. For the better. In ways you can't even expect right now. And so the lesson here is that you can only produce fruit by abiding in the vine. And when you abide in the vine, you will produce much fruit.
Now, practically speaking, what that means is that if you want your life to produce fruit, then the most strategic thing that you can possibly do in your life is to cultivate your relationship with Jesus. It is the most strategic move you can possibly make. And in this text, Jesus tells us what that looks like in real life. He points out a couple things. First, it means that that you start to spend time with him. Talking with him in prayer, listening to him by reading his word. So so you start devoting time to to intentionally develop the communication side of a relationship. to, To just sit and be with him, to listen to him, to talk with him, to share your life with him. Right? But it doesn't stop there. It's not just a matter of having great quiet times every day. Okay? It goes way beyond that. Cultivating the relationship means, secondly, then, that that you take what you hear from him and you start to apply it in your life by doing all the things he tells you to do. So there's a huge emphasis in this text on obedience, on keeping his commandments, on loving others with his love, on doing the things that he does. And so, so like in any relationship, it's those two elements. It's consistent communication and then applied action. It's those two things that serve to cultivate the relationship. And if you want your life to be fruitful... Doing those things to cultivate your relationship with Jesus is the most strategic thing that you could ever possibly do. Now, I know that in a fast-paced global city like Chicago, the statement that cultivating a relationship with Jesus is the most strategic thing you can do for producing fruit in your life, uh, that that statement is radically countercultural. All right, we are surrounded here by impressive people from all over the world who come to this city to make a name for themselves. There are all kinds of really impressive people all around us who are accomplishing all kinds of really impressive things. They're starting companies and they're, they're uh, running, running for political office and they're uh, making tons of money and they're, they're growing their little empires. Like that stuff's happening all around us and it's really impressive. And it can be really easy to, to look around us at all those impressive people who seem to be accomplishing so much and then to look at our own lives and to feel really small and inadequate. Like, man, I've got to do more. I've got to produce more. I've, I'm not getting it done. I've got, to be, I've got to be getting after it more. I've got to be more impressive. Right? But the truth is that apart from Christ, all of those impressive people with all of their impressive resumes are ultimately just like my branch today. They might be big and strong and impressive, but they can't produce the real fruit that God requires because they're not connected to the vine. But if you are connected to the vine, then you will bear much fruit. Your life will be fruitful. It might not be impressive to the world around you, but it will be abundantly fruitful in all the things that really matter in life. So your neighbor may not care that you acted with integrity in that business deal. Your buddies at the gym won't give a rip about your generosity and your concern for the poor. Your coworkers won't care that you led someone to faith in Christ last week. Your parents might not be impressed by the quality of discipleship that's happening in the small group that you lead. The Tribune is not going to write a story about how you faithfully trained up your kids to become godly men and women. Right? You're not going to get accolades for it. But man, those things... That's tough. I mean, that's what matters for eternity. Jesus says in verse 8 that when you do that kind of stuff, the Father is glorified in you. 
Man, God gets glory from you doing all that kind of stuff. The fruit that you produce in those ways, by loving your neighbor, engaging in mission, being a person of integrity, when you do that stuff, when you've got character and mission going on, man, that's the fruit that lasts forever. God is impressed with it. He sees it. He cares. That's what really matters. And so here's the point. Abide in the vine. It is the most strategic move that you can make in life. And so before we leave this lesson, I just need to ask, how's your abiding? How are you doing with cultivating your relationship with Jesus? You can only produce fruit by abiding in Christ. And so abide in him. That's the third lesson. All right, here's the fourth and final one. When you produce fruit, which you will if you're abiding in Christ, when you produce fruit, you will be pruned to produce more. Look at verse 2. Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, since we're city folks, I need to explain this whole pruning deal, okay? When Jesus talks about pruning, he's not talking about what happens when you stay in the bathtub too long, okay? Just get that clear. What he's talking about is the process where a gardener trims or cuts back certain parts of a plant in order to maximize fruit production. The gardener takes a knife and cuts off dead or unnecessary branches or buds so that the healthy branches can get even more of the plant's resources and can produce even more fruit. And if you've ever seen a garden after pruning has happened, you know that it looks like the gardener went on a rampage and took out some pent-up aggression on the plants. There's flowers over there and there's branches over here and there's leaves kind of scattered everywhere. And all the beautiful stuff that looks really nice is laying on the ground dead. And all the living stuff looks like it just got a bad haircut. And if you don't know any better, you'd have some serious concerns about the gardener and how much he can be trusted with sharp objects. Okay? But here's the deal with pruning. No matter how disastrous pruning might look from the outside, pruning is the best thing that can possibly happen to the plant. Because pruning removes everything unnecessary and frees up the plant's resources to maximize fruit production. And Jesus says here that when God looks at us as his branches, he loves us enough to maximize our fruit production. And what that means for us is that if you and I are really Jesus' branches, who are really connected to the vine, then we need to expect to be pruned. Now, getting cut with a pruning knife may not sound like a whole lot of fun. But one of the things you've got to recognize in this text is that the knife is coming for you one way or the other. Either you're a dead branch that's going to get cut off and thrown out, or you're a living branch that's going to be cut back so you can flourish. Either way, you're getting cut. Everyone's going to face the knife at some point in life. There are painful cuts that happen in all of our lives. You don't get accepted to your dream school. That employer doesn't call you back. The girl breaks your heart. You don't get the apartment you put the offer in on. Your family doesn't turn out the way that you'd always dreamed. You get the diagnosis you always feared. Painful cuts happen in all of our lives. We all face the knife. And when we do, it's always painful. 
But the end results of that pain are dramatically different depending on whether or not you're connected to the vine. You see, if you're not connected to the vine, the knife cuts you off and the pain hardens you and withers you. But if you are connected to the vine, the pain has a much greater purpose. The cut of cutting back leads to flourishing. And I'll just give you a really personal example of how I've experienced that truth in my own life. 14 years ago this summer, um, I genuinely put my faith in Christ for the first time and I began a relationship with God. I, I started to abide in the vine. I got connected to Jesus. And uh, at the time, the central thing in my life was the sport of basketball. When I was a kid, my dad was a high school basketball coach. And my dream in life was to play basketball until I couldn't and then coach until I died. Like I literally could not imagine my life without basketball. I, I actually had these kind of sick fantasies of dropping dead from a heart attack on a basketball court someday when I was old. Because I couldn't picture my life without the sport. Like it was that central to who I was and what my life was all about. Now that summer, when I began to abide in Christ, I was in position to play on the basketball team at Miami University in that, that fall. And I'd been a manager and a practice player with the team the previous two seasons. And, and I kind of worked my way up. And I thought, finally, I'd earned a spot. The coaches had told me that um, I would most likely be on the team for the coming season. And I was, I was finally going to fulfill this lifelong dream of playing Division I college basketball. I thought it was all coming, coming to fruition. And so at that point, even though I was connected to the vine, in all honesty, basketball was still the most important thing in my life. My identity, my significance, my joy were just tied up in being a basketball player. That's what I was all about. And so that fall, I get back to campus expecting to be playing on the basketball team. And I, I walk into our locker room for a team meeting on the first day of school. And I start meeting all the new guys there in the locker room. And, and I start doing the math. And, and there were 16 of us, 16 players in the locker room. And I knew there were 15 roster spots. And and uh, what had happened is a week before classes had started, the coaches had secured this transfer who was going to come in from another school to join the team. And so this spot that I thought was mine wasn't. And uh, I went through preseason stuff and, and tried to make it. And a few weeks later, uh, the head coach called me into his office and he said, hey, thanks for trying. You appreciate your effort. We just got too many guys. We can't keep you. And I got cut. You know, I thought that when I committed to Jesus, everything in my life was going to be all roses. It was going to be all flowers and fruit. It was going to be all good. I thought that God was going to fulfill my dreams for me, that he was going to bless me. And getting cut from the team did not feel like a blessing. It felt like a curse. This thing that was so essential to my life was cut away in an instant. This thing that I had worked towards for over a decade, that I'd worked harder for than anything else in my life, was gone. My dream of playing Division I basketball died. It was just incredibly painful. It hurt. But y'all, it's been 14 years now since that happened. And uh, 14 years later, I've got some perspective now that I didn't have then. And I can see some things from this vantage point that I couldn't have picked up on back then when that was going down. And I look back on that experience now and I can see with incredible clarity that that cutting, that me getting cut from the basketball team was pruning in my life for the purpose of greater fruit production. 
See, when I got cut from the basketball team, God removed this thing from my life that was inhibiting me from flourishing spiritually. It was inhibiting me from going all in. It hurt, but I look back now and literally everything in my life that is most precious to me today has come about as a result in one way or another of me getting cut from that team. See, the week I got cut, I got invited to this Athletes in Action campus ministry meeting for the first time. And because I had gotten cut from the team, I literally had nothing else to do. I was so bored. So I decided to go to this meeting. And at that meeting, I started to meet other students who were trying to abide in Christ just like me. And I started plugging into this Christian community on campus. And, and through that, I started being pushed to start engaging in outreach on campus. I started sharing my faith with others and engaging in ministry. And that year, for the first time in my life, I led a few of my friends to faith. They came to faith in Christ too. And I saw God start to use me to disciple others, to pour into them. And then when I graduated a couple years later, I decided to try this one-year internship with that campus ministry. See how it went for a year. And 12 years later, that internship still hasn't ended. That's what I do with my, my, my day job. I work with Athletes in Action and campus ministry. And it was through my work with Athletes in Action that I was wearing that navy blue sweatsuit. And I bumped into this girl named Kinsey at a conference. And I met her and we started dating and then we got married. And then we moved to Chicago for our work with AIA. And, and we had our two precious boys. And, and we got plugged into this church. And I'm standing here before you today. All of that came about because I got cut from the basketball team. And all of those things, my family, my ministry, our church, like those are the things that are most precious in my life today. And those are the things that are the most fruitful in my life today. I've seen God use me and, and work in my life in ways that I never could have dreamed. He's produced more fruit than I ever could have imagined 14 years ago. Getting cut from the basketball team was one of the hardest things that has ever happened in my life. But in hindsight, it is also one of the best things that has ever happened in my life. It was the cut of God's pruning that has allowed me to flourish. And y'all, I don't know for you what that cut is going to be. But what I do know is that the vine dresser knows what he's doing. And if you're a branch abiding in the vine and bearing some fruit, you need to know today that the cut of pruning is coming for you too. So be prepared. And when it comes, keep abiding in the vine because that cut of pruning comes in love for the purpose of making your life even more fruitful. And even if it's painful, which I assure you it will be, the pain is purposeful. There is purpose in the pain of pruning. At the hands of the master gardener, the cut of pruning will be the best thing for you. And so that's the fourth lesson. When you produce fruit, you will be pruned to produce more. So those are our four lessons. You can produce fruit. You must produce fruit. You can only produce fruit by abiding in Christ. And when you produce fruit, you'll be pruned so you can produce more. Now I want to finish this morning by going back to where we started. Jesus said, I am the true vine. And all throughout this text, we've seen what that means. He is the source of life. He's the one who has the life that we need in order to produce the fruit that God requires. And the primary reason that Jesus is the true vine is because of what happened in the hours after he made that statement in that upper room in Jerusalem. On the very night where he used this imagery for himself, a few hours later, Jesus would walk across the Kidron Valley to a garden. And in that garden, on that fateful night in Jerusalem, Jesus, the true vine, would perfectly obey his father and would do all that his father had sent him to do. 
He would be undeservedly arrested, unfairly tried, unlawfully convicted, unethically beaten, and unjustly hung on a cross and murdered. And the reason he did it all was for us. On the cross, Jesus was crushed for our failure to bear fruit. On the cross, Jesus took the knife that we deserve. On the cross, Jesus got cut off so that we can get cut back instead and flourish. And because he did, now you and I can get connected to him and be all that God made us to be and do all that God made us to do through the life that flows through his veins into our veins. In verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's the reason we're talking about this today. Jesus wants you to have the fullness of life and the fullness of joy. And he is the key to it all. Jesus is the true vine who provides everything that you need to flourish. Jesus is the key to growth. Jesus is the key to flourishing. Jesus is the key to fruit. And so if you want all of that, you need to get connected and stay connected to him. Jesus is the true vine. So abide in him and bear much fruit. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning that Jesus was cut off so that we could be cut back and flourish. We praise you for the life that flows through the true vine. Praise you, God, that you love us enough to give us the life that we need. And I pray uh, for those here today who are not connected to the vine, that, that they would connect to you that they would get connected to the true vine, that they would abide in the vine. I pray for us as a church, God, that we would abide. For those who are struggling right now, who are going through some pruning, or who are going through a season where where it doesn't look like there's much fruit, would you help them to stay connected, help them to abide through it? And God, through us all, I pray you would produce abundant fruit. God, that we as a church would be a place that blesses our community, our neighborhood, our friends, our neighbors, because of the fruit that's coming through us. Would you do that? You're the only one who can. It only happens through you. And so I pray you would, God. We give you praise. We give you thanks today. In Jesus' name, amen.